may be seated. Last week in uh, chapter 2, Paul kind of ended that uh, chapter talking about how we triumph um, in Jesus. You know, that Jesus always leads us to victory uh, because uh, we are called to uh, be a, a, a fragrance that spread the gospel to those who don't know it. And because we walk in that level of victory to some people who don't receive that fragrance, that fragrance is going to be a smell that is con of condemnation. To others, it would be a smell of life to those who receive it. But then he ended that chapter by talking about uh, the, the, the people who were coming around, causing most of the problems in that time, the false teachers. He called them hucksters, those who were uh, there peddling the gospel, he said. In other words, they was using the gospel to, to take advantage of people and, and, and manipulate people to get things from them. And because of that, that's why you see in the Bible sometime when Paul sent T Timothy and Titus uh, to certain places, uh, he gave them letters of commendation, recommendations that, that would go. And we're going to see this lead into tonight's lesson, but because that was necessary because a lot of these false teachers you know, were making up false letters and, and taking them as an entryway into some of these places in ministry. And so what happens is now we're going to see Paul defends the fact that because of who he was and what he did, he did not necessarily need a letter coming to this church. And so apparently some of the false teachers were saying, hey, everybody else come here have to have a letter of somebody recommending them. And but when this guy come, he don't have it. And Paul, you know, he's going to make it clear why he didn't necessarily need a letter. And, and I think you're going to see that here in a few 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 minutes. And, and so when we look at this and, and we and we start thinking about this, uh, I want you to think about if you've ever written a resume, anybody ever written a resume or had a resume, read somebody's resume, you know, a resume. Normally you're trying to get a job somewhere. Some jobs require you send a resume. So they can read about, see your credentials, what you've done, what you, you know, accomplishments, achievements in life and all that. So look at these letters as something like a, a resume, okay, a, a letter of recommendation. And so once they get this, this will give them some idea of the individual that is coming. So look at this in, in verse 1. It says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others? who need to bring you letters of recommendation? Or do we ask you to write such letter on our behalf? And then he emphatically says, surely not. Now, the reason Paul would say that like that, surely not, is because in his mind, he was annoyed that they would even require a letter of recommendation from him because he founded that church. You know, he, he was the one that established the ministry there. So he said, look, you know, I was the one that came in and taught you guys. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with people you don't know, but you guys know me. And he said, now look, and you're going to ask me for a letter of recommendation and I founded the church? That would be almost like I've been here for 27 years, however many years of striving. Y'all tell me I got to come back, I need a letter of recommendation. And, I, you know, I would be like Paul. Certainly not. My name on the founding documents. So I wouldn't need a letter of recommendation to come back to strive. And say, I went away, you know, retired and decided I want to come back. And somebody said, man, you know, you come back, Pastor Bolton, you, got, you need a letter. A letter? Man, when I left Gloria, I, I know Gloria. You know, I know Rob. And they go ask me for a letter? And this is what Paul is saying. He said, look, man, I found the church, and I can understand when we send in new people there that you don't know, then I'll sign a letter for Timothy and those guys till you get to know them, but, but, but not for me, he said. And the only reason this came about when you do the study is because there was people who were trying to discredit Paul all the time that he was at Corinth. There were people who were the false teachers who came against him, who disrespected his authority. And we saw that in chapter, I mean, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. And so now he's kind of making it clear that he did not necessarily 
need a letter when he says, surely, certain, uh, surely not. Now look at verse 2 and 3. He says this, the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourself. Now stop right there. Let's play that out right now. Brother Hurd walking in right on key. He said, now look, let's go back to Pastor Bolden. Pastor Bolden was the founder of Strive. Okay? He's saying that the only letter he needs is you. And if you are doing what you have been taught, then your letter is all I need. And Brother Herb is always asking, what are we doing with what you teach us? How do we know? You're supposed to be a letter. Your life is supposed to be a letter that reflects the things you have been taught here in Strider. And when people read that letter, that is enough to let them see the gospel in you. That's why I say, you're supposed to be, in the, in, in the King James Version, say, you're a living epistle. An epistle is nothing but a letter. And so therefore, if you are living out what you've been taught, you can spread the gospel without your Bible. Oh, uh, y'all didn't hear me right <laughs> you, you ought to be able to spread the gospel without your Bible. You ought to be the Bible that people read. When they read you, they ought to be reading what the Bible says about Jesus, what the Word of God says about the gospel. And so what happens is, is sometimes when, when we don't live what we've been taught, people read a bad letter. Amen. Amen. They go for all of us. When, when we don't live what we have been taught, and everybody now then is just reading the room, you know, people saying they can read the room and read people. When they read us in action, if we're not doing what we've been taught, then that's what? That means those people are getting a bad impression of what the gospel's about. And then they come back and say, well, what have you been learning over there, Strive? And so all of us have a responsibility to be a living letter. Look what he says again. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourself. Your lives, lifestyle, the way we live, are a letter written in our hearts. And everyone can read it and recognize our good works among you. Now, if striving is doing what it's supposed to do with the people that come up here and preach to you and teach you and all the things that go on in ministry, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, then everybody ought to be able to read the good works and see it based upon what's in your heart. How you display your letter. And so therefore, if, if, if that is not happening, then that means that Pastor Bolden did not do a good job of teaching the gospel. He, he, did not, he did not put things in place to help you grow and become a tool and complete in the things of God. Pastor, I wouldn't say that he didn't do a good job. Maybe it's something within that person, you know, that they're dealing with and they're acting out of whatever's going on with them. Not saying that you didn't do a good job. Okay, I, 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 can like, I can hear that, I can receive that. So it's saying that, okay, just because Pastor Bolden stood up and flat-footed taught the gospel, it is not always going to be evident that everybody who hears the gospel is going to do what they've been taught. Brother well, Fred, get a mic, get a mic. Got some mic? Yeah. It's not that you ain't sowing the seed. It's a receiver that's, that's got the problem. Amen. And so it's not falling on good ground, like you said. But, but he said, everyone can read it and recognize our good works among you. So therefore, our good works among you must be lived out by you. And then therefore, even, like you're saying, Fred, if some people are not going to live out what they have been taught, then 
it don't make no difference, that's going to come back to strive. Amen. Amen. Just like in your household, if your children don't live out what you have taught them, then it's going to come back to, to you. And so we have an obligation, you know, to teach you the truth and, and, and to stand on the truth of God's word, but at the same time, there's got to be an expectation that we're going to do our best to live out the truth. Because when we live it out, then now we become that walking, living letter where you don't need your Bible in your hand for people to know that you're saved. They should just be able to look at you, see something about you. Now, I don't mean we're all perfect, we're going to do things perfect, but, you know, there ought to be a difference between light and darkness. Should be. Now, and as a result of that, when people see us walking in the light, then they have to come back and believe that there's some power in the gospel. Because he called us from darkness into his marvelous light. So now look at it. Look at verse 3. He says, again, clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tables of stone, but on human hearts. So therefore, when you come in here, you hear the word, the word been taught, something ought to be taking place on the inside of you. And because it's taking place on the inside of you, it's not like the law that Moses got on the stones when he came from the mountain. That's what the contrast in here. And he's saying, now, this is a better deal. What Moses brought down from the mountain on the stone, didn't never get in those folks' hearts. But what we're sowing by the Spirit is being sown into your heart. And going back to what Fred said, and if it's hit in our heart and it take root, it's falling on good ground. And it ought to bear fruit. Because he said, now, what we got is not written with pen and ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. So the Holy Spirit will be writing himself on the inside of you. When you hear this word, the Spirit of God ought to be ministering to you. Your spirit ought to be trying to connect with what you hear and, and taking notes in your heart. And if your, if your spirit is taking notes in your heart, then what's in your heart will come out of you. Brother, Brother Mike? Amen. The word is written on the, on, on the tablet of stone, but he said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, but man still did everything. But when the word is written in your heart, then is what in your heart is the Holy Spirit that, that moves you. Amen. Amen. And, and, and Paul is making it clear that he was intertwined and connected to this church because he had founded them and taught them, and so therefore... He felt what they was going through. It, it, it wasn't like he would, could distance himself for it and say he didn't feel it. Man, when certain things happened, he felt it. Now, no different than me being the pastor striving. And since I was here when it started, there are certain things that I feel that everybody else just don't feel. Everybody don't take what happened in striving to the same degree that I do. And it's no fault on them it's just the fact that, hey, I feel it differently because I feel connected to striving on a whole different level. And so as a result of that, then when things happen, then I can say, man, boy, I take that person. Everybody, let's go home, man. That's personal. We ain't do well in that. That's personal. They're good. Okay, great. That's personal. But other people say, well, I don't feel it like that. Well, it's, it's only because what Paul was saying is that, look, Man, I founded this church, so therefore, when they cry, I cry. When they glory, I glory. When they do good, I rejoice. Because he was connected to them. And, and that's the same thing 
that we have to see when you connect with a church, you got to get so intertwined with the people and the ministry that you're in that you can feel what the church go through. So when people sorrow, you sorrow. When people rejoice, you rejoice. But it's so easy to be in something, but not necessarily be connected to what you hear. Amen. See, you could be in here, but it don't necessarily mean you are connected. See, and that connection ties all together so that everything runs through all of us because we are connected. But when you get separated from the connection, then guess what? You're out there now. You, you, I call it, you just wolf bait. The lion is looking for you. Amen. Because that's what, that's what the enemy wanted to do. So Paul now, looking at this, said, man, you got this thing carved in your heart, not on stones anymore. Now look at this, because of it, he said, now look, and we are confident, verse 4, of all this because our great trust is in God through Jesus Christ. Paul said, look, I am not here boasting about my credentials, but about my sophistication. Because Paul was highly educated, okay, Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, and a Jew's Jew. But he's saying, I'm not here boasting about what I have did, what I've been through. I'm just boasting about what happened to me on Damascus Road. And I realize that everything that happens through me is not because of me, it's because of God. And no matter who you are, you got to realize that our source and our strength and everything we do is a result of the Holy Spirit being on the inside of us, and we owe God the credit for it. Yes, men can applaud us and say thank you for this and, and recognize you for that, but at the end of the day, you got to give God the glory. You, he, he's not going to share that with anybody. You've got to give him his props for what he's done in our life. And so often that's what happens sometimes in the church. We get caught up and we don't recognize God as being part of the process, and we can get caught up and think we're doing it all on our own with our own intellect, our own smarts, our own education. No. Man, God got to get credit for everything you do in the body of Christ. Okay? Now look at this. He says now, he says, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification come from who? And we say, my qualification came from God. He's saying, look, God, he, you know, the Lord met me on Damascus Road. And all that stuff that I thought I knew, man, he, he taught me some stuff that they didn't even te teach me in rabbi school when I was a Pharisee. And so what we have to say is that for us today, man, we got to believe that the things that we know in our qualification come from God through the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is a, is a teacher and he's a guide and he's all those things, then we have to believe that he is giving us what we need. And that's why when, when I believe and I'm confident that if you put in the work and study God's word, man, he will give you what you need when you need it. And you can stand before great people and don't have to be afraid because he said, I will put the words in your mouth. And see, that's what we got to do. We got to have that relationship with him so that we can have the confidence that when you stand before people who may be much smarter than you are, intellectually, but when it comes to the things of God, you got to be confident who's on the inside of you. And that's the confidence you got to have. And guess what? When you exhi exhibit that type of confidence, the folks, they don't know what you know. And if you don't tell them you don't know, they won't know. That's why I tell our minister, man, when you get up there and, 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 and you get to a point, never say, oh, I don't know this. No. You know what's in your notes. They ain't reading your notes. Once you tell them you done messed up in your notes, then guess what? They ain't going to listen to nothing else you say. You got to know how to keep a straight face and believe the Holy Spirit is going to help you find your space. Because it's easy to get lost and get out here, then now you get back over here and say, oh, Lord, get. No, don't get ready to go. Holy Spirit got this. 
because he gave me something to give to the people. And I got to believe that if I'm in tune with him, he's going to give me the words I need to say. And that's the type of confidence that Paul had. He said, you know, my qualifications come from God. Look what he does. He says in verse 6. He enables us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not written, not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And again, in order to get a full appreciation of, of, of a lot of this, what Paul is talking about, you have to go back and read the book of Romans, how he contrasts the law and the grace and how the new covenant worked with the old covenant. And, and, and what he's trying to get us to see is that under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, we have a better deal than they had under the old covenant. And so the old covenant has been superseded by the new. And so it was superseded, this elementary lesson, all of you already know this, it was superseded because no one could keep the law. And so God put grace in the place so that we could have a way back to him through Jesus Christ and not the law. So therefore, we are not working to get saved or be saved. You know, we're saved because we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did. But as a result of salvation, we work, we serve, we do those type things. So, so then now when he started talking about this covenant that it comes through the spirit that gives life, he started talking and contrasting again the old and the new when we get to verse 7. He says, now look, verse 7, 8. He says, the old way was the law, which with laws etched, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Now you got to go back to Exodus chapter 34 and kind of read upon that. You know when Moses came off the mountain with the tablets and the stone, he was glowing. He, you know, the, the, like the, the, the spirit was on him, he was just glowing. He had been in the presence of the Lord. But he said, look here, all that glory that he came off the mountain with, it was not permanent. It started to fade away. And so what he's trying to tell us is that through the spirit that we have today, we got something that's eternal, whereas in the old covenant they had something that was fading, fading away. And again, go back to Exodus and read that. He says, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So the old covenant was temporary, fading away, but the new covenant is permanent that's here for eternity. So he's trying to get them to see that when you understand which where you are in the Lord, then now we got to operate in the new covenant. He said, now look, look at verse uh, 8. He says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is given life? Now, that comes back now. Let's have a discussion. He keeps mentioning this Holy Spirit. Now, the question I got for you is do all of you accept or believe that you have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you? I mean, I mean, if, I mean that you you got His Spirit that that God's Spirit dwells on the inside of you. Okay, brother Mike, go ahead. I believe because when, um, according to the Bible, when you believe Jesus Christ, when you say accept Him as your Lord and personal Savior as you come into my heart and save me, then the Holy Spirit comes in the living world immediately, if you do believe it. And I believe that I made that decision with all my heart and accepted Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. So I got the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Amen. And when we understand the operation in the, of the Holy Spirit, 
what his job is, not just the comforter, the teacher, the guide, but he's there to strengthen us and, and, and lead us and teach us things that we don't know. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So I tell people all the time, man, when you get in tune with the Spirit of God, you can start reading this Bible, and I'm not saying you're going to be like you don't went to seminary, you can dissect every word, but I tell you what, you can get an understanding of how God operates when you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And you don't need no PhD in divinity to understand how God operates. Need the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not knocking nobody who went to divinity school and did all that, but I'm trying to tell you when it comes to the gospel and what you need to get saved, the Holy Spirit can get you there. I applaud everybody who went to school, got all the education. That's okay. But don't let nobody tell you you can't be taught by the Holy Spirit and you can't stand up and articulate the gospel all because you ain't been to divinity school. Amen. Because when you start to study and become a student of God's word, man, God will reveal things to you. He will teach you and take you in a direction where you got to dig and search and look for the things that because the Holy Spirit gives you a hunger and a thirst for this word, man. And when you start hungering and thirsting after the things of God, man, God will reveal some things to you. And so what I tell people all the time, man, all we have to do is make ourselves available and open our heart to receive what the Spirit says. Going back to what was said earlier about the seed falling on good ground. You know, if, if you allow this word to fall on good ground and it take root in your heart, it will bear fruit in its season. But we have to open ourselves up and believe that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. You know, and sometimes, you know, we ask people to teach a lesson, you know, on any, any given book, you know, we're doing. And sometimes you can just see people just freak out. Man, I, look, you're saved. You'll be okay. Just go home. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Study, think through it. I guarantee you he'll give you something to say. He'll give you something to say. But if you don't have the confidence and you're afraid, you get intimidated by people, instead of trusting that God can give me something that these women need or these brothers need and I can bring it forth based upon what he has given me. Because I'm not operating in my power. I'm trusting him. I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to study now. I'm not telling people, you know, like some folks just get up and haul off and I'm going to, where the spirit is. No. You need, to, you need to spend some time studying. Jesus was a teacher. He taught his disciples. Amen. And so therefore, the Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved. So we need to do those things. But at the same time, we need to realize that we are operating under a better covenant because we have the Holy Spirit who has given us life. Given us life. Look at verse 9. He says, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was, so, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which make us right with God? Now, what is that saying? Somebody take a stab at that. When you, when you just read that, in your, own, in your own place, where you are right now, that I'm just asking you to, let's put this to practice. You just read that passage right there. Knowing what you know about what the Word of God says, what we've read thus far, when you read that, he said, now look at this. If, conditional, the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which make us right with God? Now reading that, what is that saying to you? Based upon your level of growth in the ministry or in the gospel and knowing what the word of God says, when you read that, if someone said, well, what is that scripture saying to you? How would you respond to them based upon you reading that? And again, we may be responding different ways based upon where we are, our walk, and all the things, our understanding. But it ought to say something to everybody. Well, the word of God ought to speak to everybody at a certain level and we can discern later and, and dissect later and find out that you exegete it right and that you hermeneutically say this correct, but in a practical way. Because the word of God is very practical too. It ought to be able to make sense to you when you read it. Go ahead. You know, if that's the case, I will still be in the world. You know, I thank God he saved me. You know, I'd rather be saved in the Lord than out in the world, you know, because I was out there. But mm -hmm. 
now that I know better, I'm on a different covenant. I'm, I'm glad to be saved, even though I suffer some persecution, but still here I am. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Again, your answer is your answer. Fred? glorious but we couldn't keep the old way so Christ did it in our place so now that we have the new way which gives life we, we, we're not under the old way anymore we're now under grace so Christ kept what we could keep in our place so we receive life through that which Christ has already kept once we receive him as our Lord and as our Savior amen amen anybody else anybody else brother her you got a mic kind of looked at this way for my life, Pastor, is that uh, the law of the things that, uh, that was revealed to me, and I did it with my own strength. And when I recognized when I was doing it with my own strength, I was not able to, to accomplish it. And when I was able to do it, at times, <laughs> I was, uh, it, it brought it brought the glory stain to me to be able to walk with obedience when I did it my own way and with my own strength, but I, I failed uh, to, to maintain it. Mm -hmm. But now, when Jesus Christ came, now it's a different outlook because now I was doing by works. But now it's the spirit that gave me the power to be able to overcome. And when I was weak at but now I have strength by the Holy Spirit uh, for what Jesus brought into my life to, uh, uh, with the Holy Spirit now. Now I know that it's not my strength, but now with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's the way, okay. with the okay. new way. Okay, Jonelle, I see you smiling. You've been reading that. You have read about five times. I know that you said something to you. Your answer is your answer. You <laughs> Okay, all right. Finley, what about you, man? Uh, well, the way I see it is it's pretty simple. It just sounds, just sounds like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, so why are you, why are you in the mud? Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. So that's, that's the way I saw it, you know. Um, you know, um, I think, I guess, in reality sense, you know, it's kind of like what Gloria is saying, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we in the world, you know, it look like look like the grass you standing on look look good, but it's really this turf. It ain't real grass, you know. But we stand on real grass, you know, it's you know, it feels pretty good, you know. Um and so that's the way I kinda look at it, you know. So um that, that's really all I have to say. But you know, it kinda the verse kinda says it right verse breaks it down, you know, very simple and the way I read it. Amen. Amen. So so again, Blow, you got something you wanna add? Okay. Yeah, because if I was still out there, you know, I'd probably be locked up somewhere. Thank God God saved me. You know, he snatched me. You know, grace and mercy. I'm no longer out in the world. Amen. I am now up under God's grace and mercy. Amen. So I thank God for his grace and his mercy, mercy coming on the scene, you know, to save a wretch like me. Amen. You know, he's still working on me. Amen. We all are work in progress. Amen. So, Stella, you got a mic? Okay, yes. yes. The way I see it, uh, you know, when my old life, when I was doing everything and brought, like, you know, each one said, like, when I, in my way, you know, it brought condemnation for correction. And now I'm in a new way and I can receive the power of the Holy Spirit and let someone, and lead someone else, you know, to the way that I came from and the way they should go, and I grasp onto the word and do what God tell me to do. Amen. Amen. Again, now, let's go back and read this again. Because, again, how you see this and how you see your life impacted by 
the, 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 the new way, then we understand. He says, now, if the old way, which brings condemnation. Man, I mean, the old way was not good. It brought condemnation. You couldn't get out from under the law. It always brought condemnation. You was always condemned as far as God was concerned. Amen. So he said, now, if, if that was glorious, he said, if that was glorious, when they first gave it, when Moses came off the mountain, that was glorious. Then he says, how much more glorious is the new way? Why? Because the new way makes you right with God. Amen. That's a better deal, man. That's what he's saying. Say, the new way make me right with God. I don't have to do anything but accept Christ. The new way make me righteous in God's eyes, whereas the old way I was always condemned. Brother Fred? Plus, the old way was the administration of death. You know, the old way brought death, as a matter of fact. Now Romans tell us, in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we don't have to worry about being condemned as long as we're in the new way with Christ. Amen. Amen. Now look at, it, look at verse uh, 10. He says, in fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. And, 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 and I saw an analogy I like. It's almost like you can have a flashlight as a source of light. But when the sun come out, that flashlight is no good. I mean, you can have it right in your hand, but when the sun is shining bright, you can't even see the flashlight. It has no impact at all. And so he's saying, now look, this new way has come, and it's far outshined the old way, and the old way now has no impact at all on you. And that's what you got to understand is that saying that, hey, we are no longer under that condemnation that Fred was talking about in the law. He said, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all when compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, verse 11, which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which remains forever? It ain't going to fade away. What we got, God has put in place, and it's going to be here for eternity. Now, when you come to that level and you really believe that, and you accept that, hey, I got a better covenant. I got a better deal. I got the new way versus the old way. And then now I understand that this new way is going to be here forever. Meaning that what we're teaching and what we're saying about Jesus, what we're saying about the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and grace is going to be here for forever. Forever. Now look at this. If it's going to remain forever, then he says this. Since the new way gives us such confidence. Now, now that's what you got, you, you know, you know, this is what I get upset sometimes with Christians. You, you got a question for you, Pastor. It's Finley over here. Yeah. Okay, okay. So with, I know you're talking about the old way and new way here. And so how, how do you kind of decipher between, um, I guess you said practical, you know, earlier. Um, a lot of times when you find yourself in the old way, you know, you, you, you get vision blind because the old way you think is good. I guess like a, an example, I think one, one, one Wednesday ago, you were talking about, uh, I guess back in the day, how uh, people had to wear, uh, couldn't wear jeans and had to wear suits and all that. But, you know, you evolved into, you know, I guess, I guess a, a less strict dress code, you could say. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but, so my thing is, how do you kind of get out, how do you kind of get out of your, back then, I guess that was, you could say, quote unquote, old way that you thought was, you know, Right, you know, I guess the, the way to go, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And but this new way, how we're going in this passage here, you know, is way better, you know, grass green on the other side. Now, how did you kind of come? I'm not sure this relates to that, but that's what kind of going through my head um, uh -huh. while, while reading it, like examples like that. Okay, and, and you're right, I'm not sure that's a, a, a direct relation, but I can tell you that you know, when we look at the old way and the way certain things are done in anything in life, you know, you can look back and say. What, what it was good at that time, and it'll probably still be good. There's nothing wrong with wearing suits to church. 
But there's nothing wrong with wearing jeans either. So it was a matter of custom, tradition, the way I was brought up, more so than finding something in the Bible that says you can't dress like that. And when you go back and study culture and see, you know, the Pharisees was really kind of decked out. But Jesus and the boys, they looked like average people in their dress. There was nothing so distinguishing about them that you would know that they were religious folk. But when you look at the Pharisees, you could always tell because they had symbols and emblems and attire that said, I am a religious leader. And because of that, people accepted that and respected them for what they wore and who they were. But the question would be, could they have been just as effective if they didn't have on all that? And so it comes down to a matter of preference. You know, I think that, you know, I was reading something that said, well, you know, every five years the world changed. The question is, is how much of that change should come into the church? And is it something that the church is going to change that can be detrimental to the gospel? Or is it something that's just going to come against man-made tradition? And once you can make that distinction that this is a man-made tradition versus a gospel truth, a gospel principle, then you will see as you study churches in America, around the world, there are a lot of things that churches do that's purely based on the culture that they're in, the, 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 the belief system that they have and how they dress and what they do has nothing to do with necessarily with the scripture. And so feeling as you was trying to say, that's a hard contrast to, to, to make that, but I can say that some of those changes that, that have come about were good because you, you want to be relevant, but at the same time, you don't want to look like you got to compromise the gospel just to be relevant. Meaning that you're not going to do something that's contrary to the word just to, you know, try to say, oh, I got to appeal to a different crowd or a different audience and all that. No, you want to stay true to the word. But when it comes to things like dress and all of those things, I tell people now, even now, if you're really in tune with the Holy Spirit, I believe he would tell us sometime that, you know, that just don't work for you no more. I, I, I think he just do that. Sometimes you stand there, you look and say, ooh, that don't work. And, 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 and when he do that, you got to be sensitive to that change that he's trying to make in your life so that you can say, hey, all he's trying to do is get you away from the old way into a new way. A new way of talking, a new way of doing things. And, and, and as you grow and as we mature in the Lord, we find out, man, the new way is better. Now, there was nothing in wrong, I could say, nothing that was, would cause me to go to hell when I went to the club. I wasn't a drunk. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get drunk, so I, drinking has never been my, my thing. So I, I, that was not me. It's just socializing and being around people. And even today, right now, I believe, now most of our members would probably freak out if they saw me coming out of a club or something like that, you know. But, but, but I believe if, 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 if I didn't have a conviction in my heart by the Holy Spirit that if I went to a, a club and the Holy Spirit didn't convict me, and if I'm not committing a sin in that place, unless somebody's going to try to tell me that, well, it's sinful to go in the club. I don't think so. However, my conviction is that the Lord brought me from that scene, and I don't really want to go back to that scene. You know? And, and so as a result of that, I didn't miss that. I don't miss it. But it didn't, it didn't come out of me, Brother Herb, overnight. So, feeling when we go through these changes, it don't happen right, in most cases, don't happen overnight. It took a, it took a long time <laughs> for the Spirit to get me out of the club, man. I mean, I, I, would, I just loved it. Everybody that I ran with loved the club. We lived for the weekend. 
We started on Thursday, on Wednesday, on happy hour. I mean, we, we just lived for it. And so, but I was a baby Christian then, and so therefore, I was still leaning that way until I started studying God's word more and said, okay, I can give up some things. There's some new things I can do that I can give up. And I made the choice to do that. And at first, I like Finley, you called me, called me 15 years ago, I was so dogmatic. I would think that everybody better give it up. Because that was just my mindset. If he took it from me, he better take it from everybody. Because I gave it up, they, they better give it up too. But if they don't have the same level of conviction, that's no different than I, I see Christians who curse today. And and so, say, Pastor, what, what would you say to that individual to, um, it sounded like this was a, obviously an evolution, you know, not a, you know, tomorrow, you know, I get, I, I got Right, right. So what would you say to that person who's, um, who needs that self-evaluation? You know, what, what are some things they should be looking about themselves so they can understand that, hey, this may not be the best way for me so I can get the, I guess you say, the, in this, in the verse, read the, the, the better way. Amen. Versus the condemnation way. I, I think part of it for me was association. You know, as I transitioned out of the club, I got a new set of friends. And the new set of friends I got didn't see clubbing as important. We did other things together instead of going to the club. I stopped hanging with people who drink all the time. Because I didn't, I, I, it wasn't my thing, but I didn't want to be around it all the time. And so therefore, because I grew up with it. It was in my, my granddad and I parted all the time. So I, I was around alcohol as a little child coming up. So I wasn't afraid of it, and, and I wasn't a big drunk. But I felt like I had to give, away, give up some of that stuff. I had to make a commitment and make vows to God. There were certain things I wrote in my Bible, and in my mind, it may have been superstitious at the time, but I wrote it in my Bible, and I felt like by writing it in my Bible, you know, God going to hold me more accountable than me just saying it. You know, it, it's kind of like certain things we do for symbolism that that's the reason we wear wedding rings. That ring don't stop people from doing nothing. It's just a symbol. It's a reminder that when you look at it, hey, I'm already married. I ain't got no business out here chasing nobody. I'm already, it's a symbol. But if you don't want to see that symbol speaking to your heart, then guess what? You will act like you're single even though you got the symbol on your hand. And then get to the point where you take the symbol off. So what we got to do is say, hey, what's the symbol got to be written in our heart. Because once we write it in our heart, even if I don't have it on, I still know, man, I'm married. But you know, the Bible says, shun even the appearance of evil. So, we, we, you know, I mean, we know what goes on in the club because we, we've been there so long. So, so just the appearance of you coming out of the club at 2 o'clock in the morning or send the wrong message. <laughs> or someone in the club say, hey, look, I was going to go to Saturn next, last week, next week. I saw Pastor Bowles in the club with me. So I'm not going. So, so you can be a hindrance just because you're not in there drinking or doing what everybody else is doing. You know, you could be a hindrance to somebody else. And if you stay in there long enough, because I've done it before, before you know it, you're going to be doing something that you were doing before. And, 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 and that's probably a whole lot of truth to that. And that's why I think that everybody got to have their own conviction, especially when it comes to things that is not clearly sin. That's a broad statement when you say refrain from even the appearance of evil. Because you can paint yourself in a corner and almost go into any place and somebody say evil is in there. You see what I'm saying? And so when we start talking like that and saying that, that means that the Holy Spirit got to tell us that, okay, if I'm coming out of this place at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's probably not a good look. Especially if you, you know, you're the pastor of the church, you're at 3 o'clock in the morning. So it, I look at it sometimes, it's certain things that other people can do that people in certain positions can't do the same thing because they got a different impact. Meaning that if the president of the United States come out of a place at 2 o'clock in the morning by himself, but another man come out of the same place who could have did far worse than the president. But when Fred see the president come out of there, he's going to say, what in the world is Joe doing? 
So he ain't got Jill with him or whatever name he, he got. He coming out at 2 o'clock in the morning. What in the world is he doing? Whereas the next guy coming out, that's just a plain old guy right there. <laughs> so sometimes because of who we are, the world is not going to give us the same break that they would give anybody else. Because even, even when I was in the world and just going to church, like Fred is saying, in my mind, I thought that the people in the church should at least act better than I had. You know, they didn't have to be perfect, but I, I didn't expect to see Deke at the pool hall cussing and drinking beer like everybody else. He could be playing pool. I ain't got no problem. But if, if, if he was in there cussing and, and, and drinking beer like everybody else, getting drunk like everybody else, then when he get up on Sunday to pray, that's going to mess with me. That's going to mess with me a little bit. Even though he could be a sincere guy, great guy. But that's why we got to know who we are around and realize that some people, that letter is being read. And if he's reading that letter and saying that, okay, this is something that I don't think Jesus would be doing right about now, then now that comes against our credibility. So I just want to say to Finley, Finley, another thing is that person will have to establish a relationship with Christ um, and have to have that desire to want to change from doing those things of the world. You know, and once they establish that relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit is with them. Oh, the Holy Spirit will convict you when you're out doing something against his will. Oh, it's going to convict you. Yeah. And, and, and the Spirit will just come as a conviction and a reminder. That's his job. And, and, and that's what he's going to say here later because he's going to say, look, you know, when this thing starts impacting your conscience, then now you know that the Spirit is speaking to you. Because if your conscience is condemning you, then that means that it knows that you're doing something that is wrong. Okay? So look at it. He says, since, uh, let me go back to 12 real quick and read this on down. Since we, since since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put on a veil on his, on his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. When Moses came off the mountain, he had a veil on, and even though he said Moses put the veil on to hide when he should have been letting everybody see the glory, and it, even though he had the veil on, the glory was fading away anyway. What he's trying to allude to here for us is that when Jesus came and rent the veil to the temple, we got access to the glory all the time. That's a better deal. We, we can get into God's presence now anytime. And so therefore, because of that, that gives us a whole level of confidence that other people don't have. And you got to get that in your mind. You got to tell me, man, that when Jesus rent the veil to the temple, he gave me access to a holy God. And because of God's grace, I can stand in that place even when I make a mistake. When I go back to him and say, I'm sorry. And that's the beauty of the new covenant because, hey, man, when they messed up, they had to go get another sacrifice, bring it back, and then depending on it, it was only certain times of the year that they could even, the high priest could even go into the presence of God. So we got a much better deal now that we can go into God's presence Anytime we want to in the spirit realm. Anytime. He says, but the people, but the people's mind were hardened. Verse 14. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind so that they cannot understand the truth. In other words, they are so caught up in the old that when Jesus came and tried to live the truth before them, they could not see the truth. They were blinded to the truth. And because the Jews, many of them were blinded to the truth, that's why the message went to the Gentiles. It went to them first. Jesus said, hey, I got to go to the lost sheep of Israel first, to the house of Israel first. But when they started rejecting the message, it was always destined to get to the Gentiles, but it got there quicker because the Jews rejected it. And because they rejected and didn't understand it, he was saying, it's like, hey, they still got that veil that's keeping them from seeing the glory. When Jesus rent the veil to the temple and we got access to God. 
And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So therefore, we have to study God's word to try to understand the truth. And then we got to understand that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he removed the veil. God is not trying to hide anything about the gospel from us now. He has made it plain so that people can preach it to us, so that we can read it and study it for ourselves. He's not trying to keep us in the dark. He wants us to walk and live in the light. Look here, verse 15 says, Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand it. Again, I'm making allusion to the fact that they were reading the prophets, reading the Old Testament, which was a precursor talking about the coming Messiah, but because they had that veil on, they could not see Jesus in what they were reading. And that's why many of them rejected him when he came. He said, now look, he said, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In verse 17, for the Lord is the spirit, and whatever the spirit of the Lord is, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, that's freedom. You know, whenever God's spirit is present and the spirit of the Lord is here, people should not be in bondage. We should not be in bondage to the law, trying to keep the law, because we have the freedom now to operate under God's grace. And now that goes back to a whole gamut of things, even, even, even when it comes to our living. What we must do is not because, you know, when he wrote to the Corinthians, early in 1 Corinthians, there was some Christian that was a little bit more stricter than others, and then there was something that some that was a little younger, some didn't want to eat meat, some didn't want to do this, some didn't think, thought things were offered up to idols. Well, that's still, it's still like that today in the church. There are people at different levels of their walk in the kingdom of God, and based upon their level of understanding, that their confidence in who they are, they live differently. But because a person decides that I want to eat a certain way, it don't make the way you eat wrong. If a person say that. But when we get caught up in the things like that, saying, okay, uh, because Finley decided he's going to go vegan, and Finley said, hey, that's the way I done heard from the Lord. And now Finley want all of us to go vegan. Then Finley would be wrong for trying to put that on when there is no requirement for all of us to be vegan. But if we make those choices, and what sometimes we have to do, we cannot let our choices and our convictions be put on other people, especially when they are not things that can be classified as sin. And that's what I think a lot of times we used to do is sometimes it was easy to put our personal convictions on other people. It's no problem if I decide I'm not going to eat meat. That's okay. But I shouldn't condemn anybody who does. Okay. I, I gave up alcohol a long time ago. Like I said, it wasn't my big thing, but I did used to like drink sweet drinks. But I decided I was going to give it all up. And once I gave it up, Again, going back to Finland, you had caught me 15, 20 years ago. I was hard on anybody who drank. Even though I just thought everybody should see it like I saw. I was kind of dogmatic. But then I had to catch myself and say, hey, man, you know, the sin is drunkenness. And so, therefore, again, because of who I am, I'm sure if I went out to something and I decided I was going to have me a bottle of wine in front of me. Some people look at me like I'm crazy. They say, ooh, I saw Pastor Bowl with that wine in his hand. Because they know that that was my stand. Now, if all of a sudden, like Phyllis said, I done evolved. Evolution went back around in full circle. Say, okay. I know the eight ounces ain't going to do nothing to me. I'm just going to decide I'm going to have me an eight ounce glass of wine tonight. Plus, I can justify it. They say it's good for your heart. I mean, when, you know, the doctor told me, hey, you know, if you really want to, you ought to drink your glass of wine every day. Because it's proven that people live in countries that drink a lot of wine, they have less heart disease than people in America. I could have bought into that and said, yeah. You just gave me a pass to go back to a little bit of Manny Chevy's every now and then. 
Well, Manny Sheffield, that's a strong wine, but it's about 20%. 20% by volume. <laughs> but my point is, is that because I have such a strong conviction against that, I don't do it. Just like gambling. I have a strong conviction against gambling. For me. Even though I know churches that go to Vegas to gamble. But for me, because that was my thing. I loved that. That was me. That, that, I studied gambling. I really did. I was good at, at doing that. And so when I gave that up, I thought I would never give it up. But one day I wrote in my Bible, I want to stop gambling, Lord. Took some time, but eventually, okay. Now, maybe God knew my grandson was going to be out in Vegas. I was going to be out there at least two or three times a year. He may have known that in advance. If I don't deliver you from gambling, you go to Vegas too much now with that problem. You'll be broke by the time you leave from out there. But now I can go to Vegas, man, and don't even have a desire to gamble. I mean, and I can afford to now, Fred. Back then, I couldn't afford to. I could afford to lose some money right now, every now and then. But I have no desire. And so what we have to do, you have to do, is be led by your spirit. Don't, don't govern your life based upon somebody else. You let the Spirit of God lead you and guide you, and I guarantee you, he won't lead you astray. His job is to try to lead us to truth and to allow us to be more like Jesus. Now look at this. He says, verse 15, <clears throat> Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their heart are covered with the veil and they cannot understand. 16, but whenever someone turned to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 17, for the Lord is spirit and whoever the spirit of the Lord, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now look at this, verse 18, last one. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Wow. We are supposed to try to be like Jesus and reflect him in the earth. People are supposed to see him through us. That's a big task. And so therefore, I guarantee you, because we're not all cookie-cutter Christians, we all give off different images, but there ought to be some fundamental things that we all do that people ought to know when it comes to love, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to those fundamental truths about Jesus being the Son of God, we should all reflect that. But how we worship can be different based upon our culture, based upon where we are, based upon a whole lot of things. But when it comes to those fundamental things about Jesus, man, we should all be reflecting that. He says, so, so, so all of us who have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glory. That's a process, Finley. All of us ain't metamorphosing and changing at the same pace and at the same time. So you have to allow the spirit of God to govern your walk. And, and only govern your walk against yourself, not other people. Because just like any event in life, there are some people who get saved and they are hungry for the things of God. They drop all and that's all they do. They focus on that race and that's all they're going to do. But everybody is not going to do it the same way. So therefore, don't judge growth by natural age. You got some folks that's 40 years old or 50 years old, 60 years old, and there's some people who are more hungry and they're only 15 or 20 years old and they're running after the gospel, seeking righteousness. And I guarantee if they're doing that spiritually, they're going to be just as mature as someone who's 50 years old. Because God is not a respected person. You put in the work, the Spirit of God will, will bless your efforts. And he will help us and lead us and guide us to truth.
because we want to be changed to be more and more like Christ. And that's what we always say here at Striving. We want to grow to the fullness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, that is a process. Growth is a process. And for everybody, it's a little bit different. It would be nice if we all grew at the same rate and we could all say, I've been saved 15 years and this is where we all should be at 15 years. It, it just don't work that way. It don't work that way in the natural and it don't work that way when it comes to the kingdom of God. Okay. Any questions, any comments before we close out? You got to? You know, Pastor, it would be very frustrating when you are, are, are talking or witnessing to someone that still has that veil of the law that they are under versus the covenant of grace. You know, and, 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 and that's all they can see. All they can see is the, the bondage side and the wrath side of God and not the grace side of God. And, if, if you know, if you, if you don't have good patience, it, it makes you not want to talk to them again. But, you know, if they're in your family, you know, you want to continue to try to, you know, get, get the freedom that, that you have in Christ over to them. You know, but if they're under that, that veil of the law, it's just frustrating. Amen. And, and it's no different than when Jesus was trying to get through to these folks. Or, uh, you know, in the Acts, in the first when uh, Stephen was preaching, you know, and tell them all about their ancestors and the right and wrong and all that. Instead of them receiving it, they got, their necks got even stiffer. And at the end of the day, Stephen got stoned. So everybody's not going to receive the gospel. That just, that's the truth. Good thing is we don't know who. God didn't tell us that, but it's, it's evident from Scripture that everybody, some people walked away from Jesus. And so if they walk away from Jesus, Brother Herb, some folk are going to walk away from you and me too. We're going to give them our best spiel. We're going to tell them the best testimony we got. And some people are going to listen to it and still shake their head. You've done your job. Their blood is not on your hands. Because you presented the truth of the gospel to them. Amen. Any last comments before we go to our announcement?